Jesus, we thank you. We love you. There's nothing like the presence of the Lord. Amen. God is doing such an awesome, incredible work. Truly is among you. And that is why I am here to talk to you today. He's been talking to me about you since early this morning. And that's a beautiful thing because he loves to talk about the people that he loves. Amen. Don't you like to brag on your kids? Do you have kids? You like to talk about your kids? I love to talk about mine. I'm always bragging on them, how incredible they are, how awesome they are. And that's what God was doing about you in my ear very early this morning. How many of you know that he loves you? He loves you. You don't have to try to seek his approval. You have it right now. You have his approval, right? So he's accepting of you as you are, and he's going to speak who he is into you so that we become more like him, less like ourselves and more like our father. Amen? The older that we get in this kingdom life, we ought to start looking more like our father. Amen? So I want to go quickly to the word of the Lord, and then I want us to pray together because he's just doing such a deep work among you, and I'm just so excited to see, and I cannot wait to share with you what he's been sharing with me about you. Psalm 42, Psalms 42, 7 through 11, if you have it, Psalms 42, 7 through 11, and happy Cinco de Mayo, all of you. It's a good day, it really is a good day, it's a double grace, five is the number of grace, so it's the fifth month, the fifth day. So, it's a good day. Good day. Psalms 42, verse 7. Deep. Calls unto deep. That's what was happening in this worship service. You have to be called into the deep by the deep. That's what that's saying. Deep calls to deep. So, I can't be summoned into depth by shallowness. It doesn't happen that way. So, deep calls to deep. And so, God, who is the ultimate and operates in the ultimate depth, infinite depth, is calling you into greater depth than you have ever known. So deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. If you're going to be in the deep, there's going to be some things that are just over your head. It's okay to feel over your head at times. It's okay to feel you're in a place you've never been before. Amen. Life City, you're about to be in places you've never been before, encountering things you've never encountered before, seeing things you've never seen before. That's a confirmation that you are in the deep places he is calling you to. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Also, what the depth invites is attack. As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? There's going to be some trying times. There's going to be some hard times you don't understand. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. When you're in the depth, your worship never leaves you. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter how great the battle is. It's raging around you. Your worship never leaves you when you operate in the depth. Because you can do exactly what David did and said, I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. I don't have to have anybody around me cheering me on. I know I can encourage myself and I can minister unto the Lord. There's nobody else to minister to. I'll minister unto the Lord. And he said, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Very quickly, Revelation 5. Very quickly. Revelation 5, 1 through 10. I'm going to read this very quickly. And I saw in the, in the right hand of him who sat upon the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or in the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep, 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. You're going to see that number repeating itself in the theme of God's thoughts for you today. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures that represent the four levels of wealth, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, and sent out into all the earth, or seven zones of the earth. And then he came, took the scroll out of my right hand of him who sat upon the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue of the people and of the nations and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign where on the earth this isn't just escapism Christianity it's about seeing his kingdom come here Jesus said my kingdom is here here. We're going to see it unfold here. We're going to see things in your life, in your relationships, in your city. Amen? And we're going to see it soon in Jesus' name. I want to speak to you in the next few moments. Deep calls to deep. Scrolls, seals, and seasons. Scrolls, seals, and seasons. You put your Bible down and let us go before the Lord before we go any further. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and for your power and your mercy. Thank you for your grace, God, abounding grace on this day of double-fold grace, the fifth month and the fifth day. We speak, God, grace in double portions. We speak, God, grace unto us from your face and from the breath of your mouth. Grace to us in a double portion, in a doorway dimension. Let your kingdom be released and let heaven be opened above Life City, above Weatherford, Texas, above this area. Open heaven over us in a doorway dimension. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your goodness and fill this place and anoint us with unction. We declare your heart that your mind is revealed, that your heart is made known and released in this house so that they can see you and that we could all become like you in Jesus mighty name. Can you clap your hands to the Lord before you're seated? We thank you, Jesus. such a depth that's rolling through this beautiful sanctuary today. And it's a wonderful thing to behold. It's a wonderful thing to encounter. Deep water doesn't have to be loud. If you notice that. You ever notice that it's the big dogs that usually don't have to bark very much because they're confident? It's the ones like our little miniature schnauzer that never, they're never quiet. They don't realize that just one stomp from any adversary could just snuff their life out like that. They're not aware of that, so they're loud because they're small, and they don't actually have a lot of, you know, content behind that bark. So <coughs> deep water doesn't have to be loud. It knows what it is. It knows where it's flowing and knows where it's going. And God is releasing something so deep among you, so deep and powerful here. And it's the peace of God that toward the end of that song just began to settle. There was a complete and total change even in the atmosphere as the peace of God just came riding in. And I want to explain to some of you, all of what you feel that is not that peace is actually not reality. So all the anxiety and the peaks and valleys and the mercurial spikes of your day and your emotions, that stuff isn't reality, all right? That's augmented fake reality. It's a distraction. The ultimate reality, the one that spoke physical reality into existence is what you felt in here a few moments ago. Absolute, total, and complete peace. Peace is powerful, Peace in the book of Romans is devil-crushing power. The God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet shortly. It's devil-crushing power because peace knows, like deep water, it knows 
where its strength comes from. It knows. It doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. It knows how it's valued. It knows where its source of value comes from. It's all rooted in the love of God and the peace of God. That's what humility is. Humility is not a lack of confidence. Humility is the ultimate confidence. Humility is understanding that my confidence is tethered to my understanding of his love for me. That's where I have confidence. That's where I find peace, not in my performance, but in his performance for me. He is my father. He is my king. He's all of those things. And that peace brings such stability and power to our lives. Now, I want to read from Revelation 4. God just gave me this uh, this morning. Notice there's seven things. God gave me a vision of you, Life City. And if you notice in Revelation, all the churches, they had a lampstand. That word is uh, menorah, menorah in Hebrew. So every church was represented by a menorah. A menorah has seven flames. There's seven spirits of God. There's seven continents in the earth. It's very powerful. And so God is showing that his seven spirits in, this, in the menorah, the flames, those, that's what that represents, the fullness of God being manifested and released in your life. God showed me the menorah of this church today in prayer. And it was flaming bright. Each flame began to erupt all of a sudden. It wasn't just one and then a long season and another. It was a process and a sequence where they all began to erupt at the same time. And God is saying, I've developed you so I can trust you with blessing." And so all of the flames from the seven spirits of God just electrified that menorah, and all of the flames began to burn at once. And then God took the menorah and moved it to the center of the city. That's what I saw. God is going to take your influence and put it in the center of this city. Anybody believe that in this house this morning? That's what he's doing. He's taking that menorah that's his presence and his attributes his power and his goodness and his grace, his kingdom coming at the speed of his love. And he took that menorah and moved it to the center of Weatherford. That's where he put it. And it's amazing because here's what's happening in Revelation 4 and 11. We're going to look at the first part of it very quickly. But here at the end, I want you to read this. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive. These are the things he receives. Glory, honor, power. You've created all things, and by your will, they exist. Now, there's an earlier part in this verse where he talks about the seven lamps and the four living creatures full of eyes who are crying, holy, holy, holy. And they're talking about the Lord receiving riches and the Lord receiving glory and the Lord receiving. There's seven things that he receives. And someone move my, uh, my incredible bookmark. And so now I don't have it. But there's seven attributes that they say he is now the lamb who can open the scroll is now ready to receive. And it's absolutely amazing to see what he is receiving. The first thing is glory. And the second thing is riches. Now, that actually means money. So you think, why in the world does a resurrected Messiah need money? But apparently, he does. And when he comes back and John sees him in Revelation, we miss this in English, and I'll tell you why. It's actually very, makes a lot of sense why we miss it. When Jesus comes back, it says he's wearing a girdle. That's why we miss it, right there. Because when I hear that, a guy wearing a girdle, I immediately want to move on. Because in our culture, we don't get what that means. So I'm thinking, man, girdle, yeah, next verse, please. Thank you. Moving on. I don't want to picture my God in a girdle, right? But it means a lot more than that. It's pretty deep. It's a golden sash, all right, that goes across his chest, and it holds money right over his heart. It's a wallet made of gold. Gold is eternal. Gold makes it over into heaven. It's holding material gain, the eternal, 
is housing the material gain. And it's over his heart. What God is showing us is that money and riches greatly matter, but they matter because they are to be about the business of revealing our Father's heart in the earth. That is the purpose of material gain. That is the purpose of money. And after seeing that, I can think of no other purpose for money than investing it into people seeing the heart of our Father as He truly is, His actual heart. Not something obfuscated by tradition, but the heart of God beating as it beats the actual authenticated heart of our Father. That's what money is for. And it still matters. Or He wouldn't have a wallet across His chest when He comes back in resurrected form. And so Revelation 4 at the beginning is the only place in the Bible that I'm aware of where we see an actual door in heaven. After these things, I looked and behold, a door was standing open in heaven, not a window, a door. And the first voice voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. I will show you things which must take place after this and immediately it says he was in the spirit and he sees the throne set in heaven and one who sits upon the throne as all of these wonderful things that are going on and here again you have the seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God and before him a sea of glass and again the four living creatures that represent the four levels of wealth and he goes on to describe them in great detail and they're crying holy holy is the Lord and they never stop And it's a beautiful and incredible picture of what we see Jesus as he is, John seeing him in a new way that he's never seen him before. But what I want to focus on for you specifically is the door in heaven. This is what God has been speaking to his bride globally in the past few months. And he showed this to me on the fourth month, which was April. And he said, I want to take you to Revelation 4 because it's the fourth month. And I'm going to show you the door, which in Hebrew, the number four is connected to the letter Dalit, which always means doorway. So he's showing me the fourth month, the fourth chapter, the fourth thing is a door that is being opened in heaven. A door that is going to bring great material gain that has a spiritual and eternal purpose. So you should expect to see that. Amen? A material blessing, an increase in wealth to those that have been developed and prepared so that the wealth will not destroy them because it's actually much harder to handle prosperity than it is failure. And so expect to see God open heaven over you in a doorway dimension, not a window. You can get bigger things through a door, smaller things through a window. What God is wanting to do with you, for you, and through you into this area is something that fits through a door because you can't fit it through a window. It's a doorway dimension of God opening heaven over you in powerful ways that you've never seen before. Because he can trust those of you that have been through the trial, been through the fire, been developed for blessing To understand that the money, the financial increase and blessing is solely to reveal the heart of God. It's not about revealing our heart. A home in the Hamptons. A home in Phuket, Thailand. It's not about amassing wealth that we just pass on to our children. It's about revealing the heart of God. Not the heart of mankind. Not the aspirations of the flesh but about connecting people to the actual heart of God. Isn't it good to know that God doesn't want you to struggle? Isn't it good to know that God said, deliver me from evil, and the root of that word is poverty? Isn't it nice to know that God wants to develop you and will take you through lean times because he's building character in you so he can trust you with times of abundance and times of breakthrough and times of overflow so that it's not spoiled when it comes to my vessel because I've taken on his character through a fiery trial. That's what it's about. Expect that to happen in your life. Intimacy and expectancy are the things God is speaking in this season right now. Spend time with me just to be with me. Understand that there's nothing greater that you can ask for than more of my face and seeing and understanding more of me. Nothing. 
And that's where we have to get conceptually. If someone walked up to you and said, God's going to bless you within 24 hours, the first thing your mind needs to go to isn't money, but revelation. In America, that's tough, man. Because when I say God's going to bless you in 24 hours, we just call our banker immediately, right? Get ready. I don't know what's about to happen. Something massive is about to come into this account. Well, that's true. It will get there. But the first thing, because the highest level of wealth is revelation of the living God. Seeing more of him than you've seen before. Encountering more of him than you have previously encountered. And going deeper in him than you've ever been before. That's what it's about. God can release much finance to a culture committed to using their father's treasure to reveal their father's heart. That's what it's about. And that's what God is saying. But some of you in this house, he's getting ready. Or some of you that may be listening to this later, he is getting ready to open heaven over you in a doorway dimension in every level of wealth. And he's wanting you to understand, don't allow your past to become the filter of your future. I'm going to say that again. Don't allow your past to become the filter of your future. Where you're going, you've never been. As we see in Psalm 42, you're going to feel overwhelmed. It's going to feel like it's completely over your head. That's a confirmation you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're in the deep. In the deep, things will go over your head. It's okay. You'll come back to the top. You'll surface again. You're going to feel overwhelmed. Because we're having to throw ourselves on the sovereignty of God if we want to live and dwell in the deep. When the deep calls to deep, what he's asking for is total dependence upon his sovereignty. Total dependence on him and him alone. I look to nothing else as my source. You are my source, mighty God. You and you alone. There's going to be some resistance to what God is going to do in your lives. There's going to be some resistance there. If we're to be like Messiah, and we are, there will be some resistance in the existing religious circles that we're connected to. They're not going to like what God is doing through you, among you, or how he's doing it. Because in the deep, you're totally surrendered to the sovereignty of God, not the culture's tradition. So when Jesus showed up, he started doing things a little differently than how things had been done before. And so if I'm looking through the filter of the past, and I'm looking through the filter of tradition, right, I can see what Jesus is doing and completely misunderstand it. Completely miss it. And that's a deadly thing. I want you to think real quickly about the spies in the book of Exodus. They go into Canaan, right? They're spying out the land. They're exactly where God wants them to be. They're doing exactly what God wants them to do, but they completely miss what God is doing for them because of what's going on in their perception. They're looking and they're using their past for the filter and as the filter for their future. And they see themselves as small, and God's already been speaking against inferiority and inadequacy and suicide in this place this morning. They're looking through that filter, and they're looking exactly dead in the face of what God is doing, but they're completely misinterpreting what he's doing. And they come back with the polar opposite revelation that God wanted them to have. Same place, in the will of God, doing the will of God, missing the will of God. Because of perception. How they see themselves matters. That's why I asked you, do you know that God loves you? You have to know that. You have to know how he sees you because that changes what you see around you. It changes how you see other people. It changes everything in your life concerning perception. But there's going to be some resistance because this is what God is doing. That menorah represents the fullness of the seven spirits of God that are burning in your menorah, the menorah of this church, Life City. And he's elevating that. And he's moving the effect of that to the center of the city. And when things begin to happen like they're getting ready to happen. And I also want to tell you this. There was something conceived in this church last spring. There was something that happened last spring. 
It was conceived. It wasn't birthed. It was conceived. This spring is about the birth of what was conceived last spring. I'm going to prophesy to you in the name of the Lord. That's what God is wanting this spring to be about. The birth, the manifestation, the release of what was conceived last spring. From spring, which began in March to June 21st, there was something last year that was conceived in the Spirit. Something that took place, a foundation that was laid. And this spring before June 21st is about that being revealed, released, and manifested. If you feel that, can you clap your hands unto the Lord? If that resonates with you, he's doing it. Messiah never allowed the tradition, the existing pressure from the religious community that he was connected to. He never allowed that to change or alter his mission. He doesn't want you to allow that to change or alter your mission either. When things begin to happen, let them happen. When they begin to speak against it, don't stop what your father has put in order. Because of the dissenting voice of people that don't have it in their life. Don't allow that to happen. God is saying, don't allow that to happen. Lean into his sovereignty even more. Jesus just kept releasing the kingdom in love and in power everywhere that he went. In the face of resistance. In the face of those that didn't understand it. In the face of those that hated him for it. But he also didn't shun the religious community. He kept giving them a chance to see the actual kingdom and receive it and repent. So yes, it's good and it is the will of God. We don't allow them to stop us. We also don't declare war on them. We also still stay connected to them. We also still love them. Keep fellowshipping them from time to time. It's exactly what Jesus did if you think about his life. And he is the perfect paragon to be imitated. He didn't let it stop him. But he also didn't push him or cast him aside. He didn't act like he was too big for him. He still stayed around him. Because he still always wants them to catch it. It's so much better when they catch it. When they see the actual kingdom. When healing can come to their mind, when tradition can fall, the bad parts of tradition can fall to the wayside and they can see the kingdom as it is because many of them did. Many of them did. He knew the crowd didn't control his destiny. And he understood that his father ordered his steps. I want to take you very quickly because this is what God is getting ready to do for you. I kept seeing the number 38 pop up all over the place, and I'm not just overly cognizant of those things, but the Lord won't let me get away from it. He wants me to remind you the story. At the pools of uh, Bethesda, if you go to Israel, they're still there. You can see them. It's really amazing. There is a sick man there. He's been there for 38 years. The Lord wanted me to remind you of this. For 38 years, he's been there, right? And it's always somebody else's time and somebody else's breakthrough and somebody else's season. It's always somebody else. It's never him. For 38 years, man. And then finally, Jesus walks up just to him, heals just him, and then walks out. And what God is saying in that 5 and 38, it was chapter 5, verse 38, grace and 38, is that this is your season for Messiah to walk up to you because you always rejoiced when it was somebody else's time. You never got bitter because it was somebody else's blessing. You never got upset because your neighbor was getting blessed. You understood, if my neighbor's getting blessed, it means God's in the neighborhood. So I'm not going to be bitter because my neighbor's being blessed. I'm going to rejoice with my neighbor when they're being blessed. And I'm still going to show up at the pool. 
That's what this guy represents. Always somebody else, never me, but I'm excited and I rejoice with those that rejoice. And Jesus walks up to him and says, because you could rejoice with your neighbor, today it's your turn. Today it's your season. Today it's your dimension. You're going to get everything you've been waiting for in this season. Oh, come on, Life City. God is speaking in this house. You're about to see some things you've been waiting for for a long time. Those things are now upon you, saith the Lord of hosts. He is bringing them. He is birthing them. He is releasing them unto you. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Can you clap your hands one more time in this house? Father, we thank you because it is your good pleasure. Only Messiah can connect you to your destiny. Because only Messiah can break the seals and reveal the new seasons. That's what's going on. Pardon me. In Revelation. The seals and the scrolls. A scroll is not like a Western book like this. It's rolled up and sealed. So I can't just... Flip to chapter 5. I have to start at chapter 1 and unfold it to chapter 5. I don't get to see what's in chapter 5 by not reading chapters 1 through 4. That's what we do in the West. That's not how it was in ancient time. That's not how the original word of God was written. That's not what you see in the book of Revelation. You see a scroll written on both sides, rolled up, sealed with seals. So you can read chapter 1, we'll call it chapter 1, and then you come up to a seal. And the scroll is literally sealed in place. So if I'm going to see what's written, I have to break the seal and unfold the next section. But the Bible tells me that Jesus is the only one that can break the seals and read the scroll. Nobody else can do that for me. I can't break my own seals. I can't create my own season. My pastor can't break the seals and create it for me. My organization I'm affiliated with can't do it for me. Who I'm mentored by can't do it for me. My spouse can't do it for me. Only Jesus can take the scroll of my life, break the seals, and release what's written to come upon me. Only Jesus can. So we can stop looking for the person, for the connection, for the organization, for the relationship, the spouse, or the fairy godmother that will connect you to your destiny. Jesus is the only one that can connect you to your destiny. He's the only one worthy to take the scroll, even look at the scroll, let alone break the seals and read what he has written inside of it for your life. And it happens one section at a time. Just let it unfold. Trusting that he is the only one that can break the seal and release the season into your life. He's the only one. That also means if nobody else can do it for me, nobody else can take it away from me. No one. No one can stop the will of God in your life. There is no enemy. There is no adversary. There is no failed relationship. There is no lost job. There is no lost money that can take you out of the will of God. You are the only one with the power to take yourself out of the will of God. You're not a victim. You're an empowered royal citizen and child of God. Far too many people want to be a victim in today's culture. Every demographic is offended simultaneously in today's culture. Everybody has an axe to grind. Everybody is a victim. We're blaming everyone else for the lack that's in our life. That's not biblical. It's not scriptural. It's not emotionally healthy. It's what emotionally illiterate people do. If I'm still blaming somebody else from my life, I'm not there yet. 
Whatever happened to you may have happened to you, but your response is your responsibility. I can take anything that's happened to me, lay it at the feet of Jesus, partner with my Father, and He can bring beauty out of ashes every single time. Doesn't matter who's walked away, doesn't matter who's left us, doesn't matter what has befallen us, God can take anything and make it beautiful. The only partnership that I need for the will of God is surrendering to God Himself and leaning into His sovereignty and saying, God, here I am. I'm a vessel in your hands. Because only you can take the scroll, only you can release the seals. No one else can do it for me. And nobody else can stop it once it happens. Ask David if there was ever anybody that wanted to stop the will of God in David's life, it was Saul. It kind of directly impacted him. And Saul, the king of the nation, head and shoulders taller than everybody else. That's a big deal. That's like me going up against J.J. Watt on the offensive line. It's not going to end well for me. Not even a little bit. But not even Saul could stop the will of God in David's life. David didn't arrive on the throne late. He wasn't tardy. He arrived exactly when God intended him to arrive and reign the exact amount of years God intended him to reign as the king of Israel. Because the only person that could have stopped that isn't Saul. It was David. Had he quit, had he stopped, had he ran off to live in another nation, had he stopped encouraging himself in the Lord, then it could have been stopped, but it wouldn't have been Saul doing it. It would have been David's choice, David's decision. But thank God he learned and he understood. When God wants me on that throne, I'll be there. But until then, I'm going to write some psalms in a cave by the light of a lantern. Until then, I'm going to worship in Engedi. Until then, I'm going to worship by the Dead Sea, living in exile in the very country I'm anointed to lead. Until it happens, I'll understand God has me here, and I'm going to learn what he wants me to learn while I'm here. See, what David learned was how to worship in the hallway because the door is temporarily shut. If you feel like you're in transition, you're in the hallway. That's not your destiny. That's just where you are. You don't live in the hallway. You just walk down the hallway. And when God's ready and God's prepared you so that his blessings won't destroy you, you'll come to the door. It'll open of its own accord, and you'll walk right through the threshold into exactly what God has for you at exactly the right time he has it for you when you lean into his sovereignty. Amen. We are epistles known and read. We are scrolls known and read. Our paths aren't ordered or authored in the pages of a hardback westernized book. They're ordered and authored on a scroll. So I don't get to skip to the end or the middle to see how it ends or to check it out to see if I like it. Then I'll submit to it. That's Greek logic. That's horizontal logic. Israeli logic is vertical. Our lives are scrolls and the infinite versions of our lives. What our father thinks of us has been written before time because he knew you before you were you. And he spoke his expected end over your life before your life began. And the only way we can live out the scroll of Messiah's hand is to co-author with him and let it literally unfold. That's how we do it. And if you need a scripture reference for that, we don't have time to read it today. But Philippians 2, 12 and 13 proves it powerfully. We have to become comfortable going against our own understanding in the deep. To launch out in the deep like Jesus told the apostles. They've been out there. They're fishermen. They know what they're doing. And they've caught nothing. How many of you like to fish? My wife is, is incredible. She catches more fish than I've ever caught in my entire life. Her grandfather taught her how to fish. How many of you like to fish? You like to fish. How many of you like to toll all day and catch nothing? I hate that. 
because my dad would take me fishing, and he was a bass fisherman. So four or five of those in a haul is like a great day. But that's hours of fishing. And I'm like, can we just go watch a football game or something? Can I go ride my three-wheeler? I had three-wheelers back then. We didn't have four-wheelers. We had three-wheelers. These guys have been out, and there's nothing more frustrating than spending an entire night or entire day on a lake and catch nothing, especially when that's your paycheck. So they toiled all night, caught nothing. Jesus gets in the boat, says, launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. Completely defying conventional wisdom. Completely and totally defying it. But that's what it takes in the deep. And when they listened and obeyed, what they caught overwhelmed their business model. And the overflow blessed everything that they were connected to. Do you believe God can give you a harvest that you can't contain? Do you believe that? God can give Life City a harvest and an influx of people so dramatic so powerful, so incredible that you have to send people to other churches because you can't get them inside of yours. That's kingdom-mindedness where you have people coming to you that you connect back to churches in their cities or where they're from because God brought them from wherever they're from to you so that they can see the kingdom as it actually is. Not a different version of it, but the actual kingdom. He trusts you with that life, city. He trusts you with his love. He trusts you with his nature. And he's about to give you an increase that overwhelms your business model, overwhelms your ability to contain. That's what he's doing. It's very powerful. But he said, launch out into the deep. Not only is the catch in the deep, but we must be positioned in depth to handle what God wants us to catch. We have to be in the deep ourselves. That's why he wants you in the deep. Because depth calls to depth. And God's about to give you the kind of people that can come in and make an instant impact. That's the kind of people he wants to give you. He's cultivating a core of leadership in this church that can operate in the depth 24-7 when called upon by God. We have to be positioned in depth. They had to launch out into the deep to get the catch that was in the deep. So he had to cultivate a core leaders that understood, I have to dwell in depth if I'm going to catch depth. That's why churches that want to stay in the shallow Get chronically shallow people because there's no depth there to call in the deep of the city. There's no depth there to call in the deep people, the deep thinkers, the people that can come in that are already positioned to bring blessing to the kingdom of God. Because in different seasons, fish dwell in different depths. If you're in the wrong level of depth, you will catch nothing. If you're trying to catch white perch and they're at 15 feet and you're walking around fishing in the shallows, guess what? You're not going to catch anything. You have to match depth for depth. That's what God is doing. God is going to give us people that can come in and start producing fruit immediately. Here's why. And I'm coming to a close. Musicians, you could prepare to come. Give the people hope. Amen. This generation that we are connecting to right now, my generation, millennials and younger, they're drawn to the supernatural. The only stat that I need to throw out to prove that is the success of supernaturally themed movies. That's the only one I need. Do you realize that Avengers Endgame made $1.2 billion in a single weekend? That's a decent weekend. Figure that up hourly and get back to me. That's good. That's a global generation. You know what's awesome about that? They're doing research for us. The entire world right now 
wants the supernatural. Avengers is up over $2 billion now in just two weeks. Aquaman made a billion dollars. Aquaman. I'm a comic book nerd. Aquaman's like a B-level guy. And the acting was questionable. Let's just be honest. It made a billion dollars. A billion. Unbelievable. Because the entire culture, the entire culture craves the supernatural. We can actually give that to them. We can actually connect them to the supernatural. The New Testament references angels twice as much as the old. Because the trajectory of spiritual activity spikes as we get closer to the return of Messiah. Things get more spiritual, not less. A generation gets more interested in the supernatural, not less interested. We have a generation before us right now that's the most educated generation in the history of the United States with more buying power than any generation that's ever come before it. And they're geared for spiritual interest. They need a body of kingdom ambassadors that walk in the spirit. It's more than just, and I love Bible study charts, but it's more than that. It's more than just being in the living room with a chart and just trying to get them to believe the doctrine that we hold to be dear. It's more than that. It's about loving them and connecting them and being there for them, speaking life in the face of darkness. It's about really connecting and building relationships. And it's about walking in the Spirit with Almighty God daily. Do you know what Messiah said would have changed Sodom and Gomorrah? If you could stand to your feet all over this house this morning. Messiah said, had Sodom and Gomorrah seen what you have seen, Capernaum, they would have repented in the streets. Think about that. God is telling us, if you can just love like I loved, if you can just walk as I walked, Sodom and Gomorrah would have revival if you can just be like me. If you can just love like me. There's no city that's too far gone. I know America's getting dark, but it's not Sodom and Gomorrah. Do some research, my friend. It's a long way from that. But the darkest city you can imagine that was so dark, angels destroyed it, would have repented and would have had revival. And you could have built a church there had you just done what Jesus did. Walked and released the kingdom of God with love. That takes intimacy. That takes personal relationship. What did Jesus have? He had the Father's heart. He was revealing His Father's heart in powerful, mighty, supernatural ways. He's the Word made flesh. He's revealing the heart of heaven. That's what He was about. And we see the seven sons of Sceva try to bring revival to a broken and impacted individual oppressed by the enemy, geared for the spiritual, but connected to the wrong side of the spirit realm. And the seven sons of Sceva come in and they try to cast out the devil by the Paul, by the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And here's what happened. One of the greatest revivals in the book of Acts took place because they couldn't cast the devil out of somebody at an altar. Because they understood you have to have a personal connection with this Jesus to be able to move anything in the spirit realm. I can't cast the devil out of anything in the authority or the anointing that my pastor, Brother Scoggins, has in San Antonio. It doesn't work that way. He can't send me out in his anointing. It doesn't work that way. I can't release a dimension of God. Somebody else walks in. That's why this generation that is so geared for the spiritual, they need so desperately a group of ambassadors that walk in the spirit.
that have connection themselves with Messiah. God sent me here to tell you, Life City, He loves you more than you can imagine. He's opening a door over you that holds things beyond your wildest dreams. He has ignited every flame in the menorah of this church because he can trust you with the blessing he is about to pour out upon you. And if you will just go out and be who he was and do what he did and be known for your love, you will change this city forever. Forever. Does anybody believe that in this house this morning? All we have to do is love like him. All we have to do is be known for his love. And everything, everything in this city is going to change. He favors you. He is elevating you. He is celebrating you in heaven even now. And he's about to do things in your lives that you've never seen before. Now, in the closing moments of this service and at this altar, I want to invite anybody to come to the front of this service that needs a healing in your mind, your emotions, or your body right now. There's healing, peace in this place. I also want to invite anybody that feels like, God, I want everything that you spoke in this place. I need you, God, right now to activate it. I connect with it, and I'm asking you to activate it in the name of Jesus right now. So if that's you, if you need healing in your emotions, you need healing in your mind or in your physical body, I'm asking you to step out, come down to the front, lift your hands if you can, because the God of heaven is about to touch you. You are going to encounter the love of God. You are about to encounter the peace of Almighty God that passes all understanding. And He is about to take you and place you in a dimension with Him in the deep water that you've never been before. That's it. Just lift your hands all over this house. And as they begin to sing, just speak to Him. Just cry out to Him. Just talk to Him.